Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you guys are having a great morning and the Lord has already been good to you and you've already received that this morning and experienced him. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the elders here at Mercy Hill Church. And if you're a guest, we just want to say welcome. Uh, if, if you need to uh, know where anything is, we've got a sign here for restrooms. It's to my left and your right. And then if you have any kids, kids ministry will be to my right and your left. Um, let me ask you guys, as, uh, as we get started, to stand with me. And, uh, and we're going to pray together. And then there'll be a call to worship and we will sing as a family. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Your word tells us that this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Your word does not put stipulations on whether the day is good or bad, whether the day is hard or easy. So God, I pray this morning that your people this morning of Mercy Hill Church will rejoice and be glad in this day. Help us to, to hear from you this morning as your word is preached. Help us to, to hear from you as we sing truth and we proclaim the gospel together in song. And God, I pray that the voices are a, a direct reaction to what the work that you've done in our lives. That everybody in here will experience you different and experience you newly. Help us to know our need, to not turn to ourselves, to not turn to, to others, but to turn to you and allow you to meet our need and meet us right where we are. We love you. We love you because your word tells us that you first loved us by sending your son Jesus to become sin so that we would become righteousness. What a glorious truth. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to take a minute here to uh, just have a time of repentance. And, and you can do this on your own. Lately, I've just been uh, having the Lord call in my heart to uh, confess the things that I'm afraid of. And uh, that fear is me taking away God's glory and is keeping me a captive uh, just in my own head. And I uh, just want us all to take a minute to uh, confess those fears to God right now. Uh, Will you take that time? But just uh, take some time and confess to the Lord.
God, we just thank you for your almighty power this morning. And we just confess that at times we forget who you are over our lives, in our relationships, in our circumstances. And God, I just pray that we would just lay all that down before you and come to you with confidence that you are who you say you are, that you come in power and glory. And there's nothing in our lives that you have not overcome or cannot overcome. And we just give you glory for that. Help us to walk with you. And we just thank you for your grace that covers all of our sins. assurance of pardon comes from 1 John 1, 5 through 9. This is the message we have heard and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him darkness, there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not tell the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we have no sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Good morning. Okay. I'm going to read a story called The King of All Kings. Far away in the east, three clever men saw the very same star the star that God had put in the sky when Jesus was born. They knew it was a sign. A baby king had been born. They had been waiting for this star. They knew it would come. Here he is, they shouted. Here he is. And I'm sure if you'd been there, you would have heard them laughing, dancing, and singing until the sun came up. At dawn, they packed up their camels and wrapped gifts up for the baby. They brought their most precious treasures of all, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. Special, sparkly, lovely, smelling, gleaming things just right for a king. The three wise men, actually, if you would have met them, you'd have thought they were kings because they were so rich and clever and very important looking. They set off. They rode their camels across endless desert, up steep, steep mountains, down deep, deep valleys, through raging rivers, over grassy plains. Night and day, and day and night, for hours that turned into days, that turned into weeks, that turned into months and months, until at last they reached. 
Jerusalem. Jerusalem was by far the most important city for miles around, and as anyone can tell you, that's, the, that's where a palace would be, and kings were born in palaces. So that's where they went. They went in for a surprise. They went to see King Herod. Surely he'd know where this baby was, but he didn't. In fact, he didn't like the sound of a new king. It made him cross. He didn't want anyone to be king except him. But Herod's advisors told the three wise men that was written in their books that God had said about a baby king, go to Bethlehem, that's where you'll find him. Suddenly, the star had seen, they had seen in the east started moving again, showing them the way. So the three wise men followed the star out of the big city along the road into a little town of Bethlehem. They followed the star through the streets of Bethlehem, out of the nice part of town, through the not-so-nice part, part of town, into the really not-so-nice part of town, down a little dirt track until it stopped right over a little house. But wait, it wasn't a palace, and there weren't any guards or servants or flags or red carpets or trumpets or anything. Did they get it wrong, or is that what God meant? Sure enough, in that little house there, sitting on his mother's knee, they found him, the baby king. The three men knelt before the little king. They took off their rich royal turbans and gleaming gold crowns. They bowed their noble heads to the ground and gave their sparkling treasures. The journey had begun so many centuries before, had led three wise men here to a little town to a little house, to a little child, to the But this child was a new kind of king. Though he was the prince of heaven, he had become poor. Although he was the mighty God, he had become a helpless baby. This king hadn't, become, hadn't come to be the boss. He had come to be a servant. All right, will y'all pray with me? Dear God, thank you so much for this story and just a reminder of how you make such miraculous things out of things that nothing that we would expect. God, thank you so much for this family that you've um, given me and my family that we are able to walk together in community and just really learn what it's like to have, um, to have love within your community, God. God, thank you so much for Brad and thank you so much for um, allowing his family to be with us this week. Um, God, thank you so much for... Um, the words that you're going to give him this um, this Sunday, God, thank you for um, the wisdom that you give him, and thank you so much for um, just all that you're going to do for us in this week to come, and God, I pray that you just give us grace from the week past and ways that we have failed you, and that we're just able to celebrate your goodness today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, good morning, Mercy Hill. You guys are awake. That's great. Daniel, where you at? Right there. Thank you. Man, I, I know those songs and they were great, but I appreciate you sharing from your heart just what God's been teaching you because God used that to encourage me this morning. And uh, I know we all face a lot of fears and um, man, I appreciate that. It's also, I just wanted to point out, uh, I know that our preschoolers have left, our, uh, yeah, preschoolers, but it's really good just to hear the voices of kids worshiping with us today. And for parents, we want you 
we just want to remind you that when we hear your kids' voices, it's never a distraction to us. And we're thankful that they are here and that they're worshiping along with their families and that they're seeing um, what is the central point of all of life as we worship Jesus together and learn how to do that. So, yep, it's good to hear voices. Uh, Today, I want to talk about the criteria for following Jesus. We're in a series entitled Follow Me, Learning How to Be with Jesus. And today I want to talk about the criteria for following Jesus. What is the criteria for being one of Jesus' disciples? If you think about it, there's criteria for almost everything in life. And so if if you want to have a job, and if you want to hold that job down, you better show up on time. You better get your tasks done in a timely manner. And if you don't, you'll hear those famous words from your boss. You are fired. There's criteria. There's criteria for being married. If you want to have a good marriage, you've got to cultivate that relationship with your spouse, which means time and service and mutual assertiveness where you're sharing what your needs are and your spouse is equally assertive in sharing what their needs are. There's got to be a commitment to love and forgiveness and to grow together in intimacy and trust. And if those things aren't there, then your marriage will end in what? Divorce. There's criteria for marriage. There's even criteria for growing healthy kids. First criteria, first few months and years of their life, keep them alive. First criteria, keep them alive. And then second, love and encourage them. And then third, teach them to obey. Hugely important. If you don't teach them to obey, then you're not going to keep them alive in the early years of their life. And, um, And then if you don't teach them to obey, they'll end up either hurting themselves or hurting others. So there's criteria for almost everything in life. Jesus also shared criteria for being his disciple. But over the last half century or so, his criteria has been condensed to an idea that isn't even found in the Bible. And so this is really important. That's really scary if you think about In the Western church, that over the last 50 years, there are some people who have been misled in their understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What if you were told at an impressive religious event, you were there, it was really well run, maybe there were hundreds of people there, maybe there were thousands of people there. And you are told that all you have to do is to follow follow Jesus is to ask him to come into your heart. And you did that. Imagine your surprise. How unfair would it be if you discovered that the idea of Jesus coming into your heart isn't used anywhere in the Bible? Nowhere. You can't find those words in the scriptures. That's the wrong 
criteria. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. The good news of his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of our sins. Paul summarized it in 1 Corinthians 15 in probably the simplest definition of the gospel in all the Bible. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Gospel presentations in the Bible exhort a proper response to that message. That we would believe, that we would receive, and that we would repent. That's the gospel message, that we would believe. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. We must believe. But we also have to receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we believe, we receive, and finally we repent. Acts 3.19 says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The gospel calls us to believe, to receive, and to repent. We're to change our minds about our sin and about who Christ is. To believe that Jesus died and rose again and received the gift of eternal life by faith. So none of the apostles ever told someone to ask Jesus into their heart. So if that's not the criteria for following Jesus, then what is the criteria for following Jesus? And this may sound kind of harsh to you. You may say, but I was told it was a free gift. And it is. It's by grace, through faith. We can't earn it. Ephesians 2 tells us. Not of works, or we'd boast about it. So you may say, this sounds kind of harsh. There's criteria. And I think for some of us, it may sound kind of harsh or unfair. Because we really live in a silly day and age. You guys realize how silly this day and age is that we live in? I, I, I watched, this is a side note, I watched the Dream Team from 92 Olympics. I, wa I watched them, there was a documentary yesterday. Quit shaking your head, Ellis, this is awesome. And I watched this documentary on the Dream Team at, from 92, and I was just looking back, and I was like, it was just so simple back then. I mean, they were so good. Don't ever think there'll be another basketball team like that team. And if you think there will, I don't even want to talk to you because you don't know what you're talking about. But their, their shoes were just so simple. And like, I, I looked at Katie and I said, nobody's trying to be so dadgum unique. Like, they're just all playing together. But we, we live in a silly day and age now. We live in a day and age where, in which there's participation trophies for everything. I mean, you graduate from everything today. You graduate, they probably have preschool graduations now. You know, it's like you graduate from being one year old. Now I'm two years old. They probably have a cap and gown for that. Like, they probably give you a medal and a trophy. Mom and dad, what's this big trophy for? Oh, that's when you turn from one to two. Like, you get trophies for everything today. But guys, in the real world, there's no participation trophies. There's winners and losers. And you need to educate your kids at the proper, I'm not saying when they're three, 
But if your kid's going, if your kid's like a teenager and they're going, did we win today? And, you're, and your message is still, guys, we're not, this isn't about winning. This is about just having a good time. And so everyone won because we all had a good time today. If you're telling your teenagers that, come on. There are winners and losers in sports. Suck it up. Most of us are going to lose at sports. Because most of us aren't going to make millions of dollars when we grow up. So, so we live in this d- silly day and age in which there's participation trophies for everything. And we think that things are free. There's nothing free in this world, folks. Those checks that we've been getting for the last couple of years, those aren't free. We'll pay for it. Actually, the sad thing is our kids and grandkids will try to pay for it. We'll see if they're able to or not. They taught us the first law in economics is there's no such thing as a free lunch. There's nothing free in this world. But we live in this silly day and age in which we think that, in fact, our kids, some of our kids are at the biggest disadvantage right now in Memphis because they got passed last year for doing nothing. Some of them didn't even show up at school. They didn't even log into their computers and they still got passed because their schools don't want to lose the money that they get for the number of students they have. We live in this day and age in which kids are graduating from high school. They don't even know how to read. But they're losing. They're going to lose at life because that's not real life. In real life, there are winners and losers. There's no participation trophies. There's no such thing as a free lunch. And guess what? If you don't know how to read and write and what Jethro Bodine would call arithmetic, back if you ever watched the Beverly Hillbillies, if you don't know how to do those three things, you're going to have a tough time in life. You're probably going to lose. If you think about this, we live in this silly day and age in which we say, no, there's no criteria. You can do whatever you want to do. You can. It's only a matter of time before all the different pronouns and names, someone's going to declare themselves an alien. And they're going to declare themselves an alien and they're going to say, I don't have to pay taxes because I'm not from this planet. And in fact, I may, we, maybe we should try that, Caleb. I don't know. <laughs> there are criteria in life. And there is criteria for following Jesus. Okay, so I've made my point and probably gone too far. There's criteria for following Jesus. found all throughout the Bible. And it's especially found in Luke 9. So turn with me to Luke 9. And I want to do something a little different today. As you're turning to Luke 9, uh, hold your place there. And you may want to highlight because we're just going to look at We're going to look at five sets of verses in Luke 9, but each one is either one verse or two verses. And I want you to turn to a neighbor, and I want you to find somebody that you can have a little bit of interaction with. Because we're going to talk about Luke 9.23 in particular, and I want you to talk to your neighbor about what you think it means. So find someone that you maybe didn't drive here with today, or you may need to, to get up and go sit closer to someone in a second, but we're going we're gonna to have a little discussion about Luke 9, 23, a little interaction. Now, the context of Luke 9 is, is important, so let me, let me give it to you real quick. Up until this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus has been the only one preaching. Outside of John the Baptist, who's been declaring that Jesus is coming and preparing the way, Jesus is the only one who's been preaching the good news of the kingdom, and he's been performing powerful signs of the kingdom's arrival. So he's preaching and he's healing. He's preaching and he's healing. Verses 2 and 6 tell us that. 
But now Jesus, and this makes sense if you know anything about discipleship. Now Jesus sends out the 12 and he sends them out in order to do what he's been modeling for them. And so what do you think they do when he sends them out? They preach the kingdom of God and they heal. He gives them authority to do that. And so he sends them out and there's huge events that take place all throughout this chapter. Sending out of the 12, the feeding of the 5,000. Peter's confession of Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. And that's kind of where we pick up around verse 23. Now think with me for just a moment. As we look at verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 23, as we look at his first criteria for following Jesus, think about how shocking this call would be. As the disciples have been sent out, Jesus has been preaching the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Christ. Everyone who comes to Jesus, it seems, is healed. Now listen to Jesus' shocking response. In Luke 9, verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I want you to turn to a neighbor and I want you to just have a quick discussion. What do you think Jesus means by this? What do you think he means by deny, take up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? I know you're not supposed to talk in church. But this is an exception. So turn and have a conversation with your neighbor. Alright. I know you probably haven't finished your discussion. But I want to hear from you really quick. Chris will you run the mic for us? You're close. I'm going to pick on you. Thanks. What, what does Jesus mean? If anybody would come after me let him deny himself. What? What did you hear from friends and neighbors that was good stuff? On what, what does this mean? Deny yourself. What's he talking about? Anybody hear anything good? Okay, like a sacrifice. Yeah, the thing that we just talked about was how there's going to be, it's not going to be comfortable. There's going to be a part of it that's not going to be fun. That's part of what it's talking about when it says take up a cross. Okay, so there's sacrifice involved here. Caleb? You're not really running. Ah, get your steps in today, Chris. Um, Jason told me something that I thought was really profound, uh, just what is actually implied by taking up the cross daily. And uh, so it's not like Jesus just, you know, picked up his cross and put it down. Jesus took his cross to his place of execution. So, yes, there's an element of picking it up daily, but there's also what's implied, you know, go to Calvary daily, be mm. crucified daily. Um, and do it all willingly, knowing that that's where you're headed when you pick up your cross, and denying the flesh of yourself that wants to not do that. Mm, denying self, headed to a place of execution daily. Anybody else? You hear anything good? Deny, take up your cross, follow me. Surrender. Surrender. Yeah. Anything else? Expect hardship. Going into battle daily. Okay, yeah. Pick it up on some, some illustrations from Ephesians. Okay, good. Alright, good. So, 
I want to do that to get you a little bit more involved in this verse. Thanks, Chris. So as you look at Luke 9, 23, it's interesting if you go back and if you look at the context for those verses. Because this is a shocking call, especially in light of the context. Peter's just declared that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And, and that, it's hard for us to understand how big that statement is. You would probably have to take a good 30 minutes, which we won't do today, for you to, to, tr- to go back through the Old Testament to see how there was a Messiah who would come from the lineage of David who would rescue his people, Israel. And this is, this is huge. I mean, everyone was waiting. And so Peter has just recognized Jesus as the Christ, this long-awaited Messiah that Daniel the prophet spoke of and so many others. And next we'll see in Luke's gospel, after that we see the transfiguration. And, and at the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah show up. These two huge figures from the Old Testament. They appear to Jesus and speak of his departure. And Luke uses a term here that literally means they speak of Jesus' exodus. Are you picking up on the language here that Luke is using? So you get the picture here. The disciples are recognizing Jesus as the one who would free them in an even greater exodus than Moses had brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. So this is huge climactic moment for the disciples. And what's Jesus' response to all of this? Well, in typical kind of apocalyptic language, don't tell anyone, suffer, I'm going to be rejected, killed, and raised on the third day. I mean, how confusing this must have been for the disciples. Yes, I'm the long-awaited Messiah. Don't tell anyone. And I'm going to die. Like, what? All these mixed messages. But it gets worse because if you read through verse 23, and then look at verses 24 and 25, Jesus says, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And the disciples have to be thinking, were you the Messiah or are you not the Messiah? Are you going to overthrow Rome or are you not going to overthrow Rome? Are you going to make life better for us or is life not going to be better for us? See, the disciples were looking for freedom, but this doesn't sound like what they had in mind. And I don't think it's what a lot of people have in mind today when they ask Jesus to come into their hearts. I don't think it's what they have in mind. Jesus says, deny yourself. So to understand this, it's not nearly as complex as we oftentimes think. Peter illustrates it for us later. Who did Peter deny? Jesus. What, what did, how, did, how did Peter do that? I don't know you. So what does it mean to deny self? Just like Peter didn't know Jesus, we deny ourselves. That we don't know ourselves. That we... Deny ourselves isn't about denying luxury. A lot of people think that we're to deny ourselves. That means that, you know, we, we don't buy nice things and we aren't frivolous. That's not what this means. It's so much deeper and so much more radical than that. 
Turning away from the idolatry of self-centeredness is what it means to deny ourselves. That we're no longer masters, but that we've placed ourselves under a greater master and king. And then to take up your cross daily. This is hard for us to wrap our minds around because for us, and appropriately so, for us the cross is a piece of jewelry. And that's appropriate because as we think of the cross, we think of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we see that symbol and there's reason to celebrate. But for this day and time in which Jesus said, take up your cross daily, originally this was, this was frightening. As frightening as anything in their world. They carried you literally, how, how effective the Romans were. Man, at torture and at keeping people underfoot. If you violate our laws, we will kill you. And you will carry the tool, your own execution tool, you will carry. So when people just saw the symbol of the cross, it frightened them. Rome kept people submitted under their rule using this symbol. And now Jesus is saying, submit to his rule of life. And daily, continually put your self-centered way of living to death. And walk in the way of Jesus in every area of life. As if he were living your life. And I think that's one of the things that we really miss out on in discipleship so often. Is that to be a follower of Jesus, it is as simple as understanding that Jesus came and lived a life as a model for us. And he took his disciples and he modeled for them how they should live. And then he sent them out to do the things that he did. And then he modeled for us how we should live. And so following Jesus means living our lives as if Jesus were living in our place, in our day and time. How would Jesus live if he lived at 699 North Belvedere or whatever your address is? How would he interact with his neighbors? How would he go about his day? How would he make his decisions about his finances and his family? How would he do these things? And so Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Following me includes, and this is where a lot of Christians kind of get off track. They go, I invited Jesus into my heart, show up at church from time to time. I mean, how, how much do you want from me? And it involves all of life. And so follow me means your finances, your ambitions, your sexuality, your entertainment, your relationships. Following Jesus impacts every part of your life. Now, I, I want us to look, and we're going to move really quickly through these other criteria. And I just want you to highlight them or jot the verse numbers down and go back and look at them. The second criteria comes in verses 49 and 50. 49 and 50. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him for the one who is not against you is for you. 
The second criteria seems to say, stay focused and be humble. The disciples had just been arguing over who is the greatest. And Jesus' response in this moment, it seemed as if being a part of the twelve wasn't enough for them. And, and they look at these other people who are ministering in Jesus' name, and they say, Jesus, they're not following you with us. And it seems like they're probably worried that this other group of people are going to receive some kind of attention or acclaim or some kind of accolade for what they're doing. And Jesus says, be humble. The greatest is the least in the kingdom of God. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about who's the greatest. It may be that today, we've had all these musicians on stage that know how to play instruments. They got here early in practice. They're really good. I'm up on stage. I talk. I have people's attention. It may be that the greatest person today is not any, here is not anyone on stage. It may be that the greatest person today is the person who went and gave someone a ride. Who needed a ride to get here and couldn't drive. And they went out of their way and picked someone up and said, I'll give you a ride to, so that you can be here. Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom of God is the least. I think about 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. As the disciples say, what about those guys? Jesus, they're not part of our group. In 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, well, Paul says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard, uh, help me out, guys. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. And then what does he say? Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. For his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. How often, as followers of Jesus, do we get entangled in civilian pursuits, particularly in the day and time in which we live? Jesus says, "You don't worry about them." You follow me. And so in verses 49 and 50, the second criteria we see is stay focused and be humble. The third criteria comes in verses 57 and 58. Look quickly at what Jesus has to say. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It seems as if Jesus is saying that everything is on the table when it comes to following him. Now, does this mean that we're to, to sell our homes? Does this mean that you can't own a house? You've got to rent your whole life or that it's wrong to invest in earthly possessions? If you look back at the context of this verse, in the previous verses, Jesus has just been rejected at a Samaritan village. He's just been rejected. And as a result, he brings up the harsh realities that following him means we will feel at times as if we're without a home. We will feel as followers of Jesus as if we don't belong in this world. The decisions we make won't be in alignment with culture, with many of our friends, and even our family at times. 
if they aren't following Jesus. Everything is on the table. Are you willing to put everything on the table when it comes to following Jesus? Jesus doesn't say it's a possibility. He says you must. Look at the fourth criteria in verses 59 through 60. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Here we see the priority of the kingdom over worldly obligations. And this one, it doesn't just sound harsh. It is a bit harsh. This means God will often call you to do things that the world judges as unwise or unsafe or out of step with the norm. The priority of the kingdom over worldly obligations. You know, some people have tried to soften this a lot and they've suggested that his father wasn't dead yet. And so he's saying, let me wait until my father dies and then, but the text doesn't It doesn't give us room to make that interpretation. That could be the case, but the text doesn't suggest that. Jesus' call to follow him is always immediate. It can't be put off. It takes precedence over everything else in our lives. Jesus' call to follow him takes precedence over everything else in our lives. Following Jesus is more important than our work... It's more important than our friends. It's even more important than our families. And this sounds harsh, but it's really really a good thing. I mean, that's where we miss out on following Jesus. We we say, oh, it's such a sacrifice, and oh, it's so hard. It's, It's always a good thing. Yes, it may not be easy, but it's always a good thing. Because the truth is this. If you make your kids safety, or if you make your kids success, and I think these are two big idols in the American church today, if you make your kids safety or success a bigger goal than following Jesus, you will end up so disappointed because your hopes will be dashed because your kids weren't created to carry your happiness on their shoulders. They can't do it. Only Jesus can give you true peace and fulfillment. If you put that kind of weight on your kids, they will grow up to despise you because they will never be good enough to bring you the satisfaction that you're looking for. They aren't God. They weren't made to be worshipped. The priority of the kingdom over worldly obligations... Look at, finally, criteria 5 comes in verses 61 and 62. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying, stay focused on the goal. Think about that in your life. I think this is... Very important for those who have been following Jesus for a while. Following Jesus takes precedence even over family relationships. 
Sometimes these have to be left behind. I'm, I'm so grateful um, my mom and dad are in town this weekend. And they were able to come and see us. Uh, but my relationship with my mom and dad is one that's always been five hours away. We lived in Nashville. We lived in Memphis. And uh, I moved here to go to seminary. And God called us to stay here. And then we've planted churches ever since, either in Memphis or Nashville. And so our relationship has always been five hours away. That hasn't always been easy, especially uh, in the early days where we didn't have grandparents nearby. And we had infants. And we didn't have babysitters. And we didn't have those people that we could fall back on. And it wasn't easy for them either. It was a sacrifice for them. They had to travel to see their grandkids. They were... We miss out on a lot of holidays together. We miss out on a lot of time together because weekends aren't convenient for me to be out of town because I'm a pastor. And so, but in the midst of all of that, it's what Jesus has called us to. And it's okay. I found myself last week kind of chuckling. One of my boys said, do you, we pulled up in front of our house and he said, do you think you'll live here for the rest of your life? And I kind of chuckled at my response because I said, I really don't know. And then I said, it's really not up to me. We just go where Jesus tells us to go. And so we've been here 10 years. Will we be here 20 or 30 more years? We'll leave that up to Jesus. When we follow Jesus, everything is on the table. He calls us to stay focused on the goal. And he doesn't just speak of family here, but there are many things for followers of Jesus that potentially things that could be in their rearview mirror that we aren't to be distracted by in looking back on what could have been. On what could have been. But Jesus says, stay focused on following me. Now here's the deal. None of us will do this perfectly. Okay? These are really harsh claims. I hope that you'll go back and that you'll look at them this week. And that you'll take some time to consider in your own life what these things mean. I mean, they're shocking claims that Jesus calls us to. That He would be first and foremost. That He would be King. That He would be above all else. And it's like, it's one thing to sing songs that describe that. It's one thing to say that he's glorious and that he's holy. It's a whole nother thing to say, Jesus, you're more important than my kids. You're more important than my spouse. You're more important than my career. You're more important than anything this world has to offer. We won't always get it right. None of us will do it perfectly. We'll fumble, we'll fall. But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, it will be impossible for us to fail. I want to end with one final illustration. I think when it comes to discipleship, that a lot of people go wrong when they read passages like this and they hear sermons on discipleship and they, they think to themselves, man... That is just a really heavy bucket that Jesus has called me to carry. I mean, that, my cross daily, sacrifice, woo, I mean, that, that is heavy. This, this thing is hard. There, there's a lot of truth to that. There is a lot of sacrifice that's involved. There are things 
in this world that we will miss out on, that we will live differently, that we will be looked at at times as, as, as fools or maybe even crazy as we follow Jesus, that we will make decisions that are far different from those that are around us. But I think sometimes the place that we go wrong is to think that Jesus has called us to carry this, we'll call it a bucket of discipleship, and that that's all he's given us. Just go and suffer for me. All right. I'm excited. I'm pumped up. Go suffer for Jesus. Is that the message? Woo! This isn't all Jesus has called us to. Jesus hasn't simply given us discipleship, but I think the thing that we miss out on oftentimes is he has given us the church. I saw this illustrated so beautifully just a few weeks ago. Turn to Mark chapter 10 and, and listen to these verses. Mark chapter 10, verses 29 through 31. I was preparing for the sermon series at a friend's house. Um, they have got a little cabin down on the Tennessee River. And I was down there um, at their river house preparing for this sermon. And uh, I was having my devotional time that day and I read Mark 10. Verses 29 through 31. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. That's what we've been talking about all morning, right? Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. And uh, this particular family had a guest book, and so I took the guest book out, and I said, I wrote this verse down. And I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I had the thought, hey, I'm glad I have a house on the river. Because this verse says that what's theirs is mine, and what's mine is theirs, that Jesus has given us the church. Isn't that what it means? I mean, so oftentimes we think, man, there's just all this suffering and I'm just going to leave all these things behind. But one day there'll be that crown of righteousness and that's true. But Jesus says the eternal reward doesn't, this life isn't just filled with sacrifice. Jesus says there's another bucket and it's joy. You know, my dad, my dad's here today. My dad taught me when I was a little kid, we used to have these buckets in back of our house. And the rain would come over the back of our house and we would gather water in these buckets. And then we had the great joy of picking these buckets up and carrying them down to the garden and watering the garden. Some of y'all are shaking your head like, yep, I was taught that gift of manual labor as well. And what I learned as a kid is you see these heavy buckets, and as a kid, you're going to go and you're going to pick one of them up. And then things like knocking against you, and you're covered in water. And, but what my dad taught me was like, that's not the way to carry a bucket. The way to carry a bucket is if you've got something heavy in one hand, the easiest way to carry that bucket is to put something equally heavy in the other, and that as you pick it up, it balances and I think too many people are trying to live a life 
of following Jesus all alone when Jesus has said, I have given you houses and brothers and sisters so that as you sacrifice, you will find joy. That there is joy in the journey. And so I want to encourage you, as you think about your life and as you think about what it means to follow Jesus, if you're trying to do this throughout your week, and you're like, Jesus, I'm trying hard, I'm trying to sacrifice, I'm trying to get up early, I'm trying to read that Bible, I'm trying to memorize Scripture, I'm trying to do all these things for you, Jesus, but it's not working. If you're trying to do it, and you don't have any of this in your life as you do it, like if you're not studying the Bible with people, if you're not living and sharing meals in community with people, if you aren't on mission and as you minister to people and pray for them, doing it with people, you're not going to make it. Jesus was the only Lone Ranger Christian. <laughs> There'll never be another mass man like him. Jesus has given us the church in order that we wouldn't live a life merely of sacrifice. But that we would live a life of joy in the community that he's offered us. That we would suffer well together. So I want you to think about that. What does it look like as you follow Jesus to do that in community? And that as you, yes, he says persecutions. He said you're going to get houses and friends. It's going to be great. Oh, and persecutions. Like he doesn't mince words here. But as you face sacrifice that you would sift joy and that you would find it is there really any joy if you don't have relationships you remember that Tom Hanks movie where he's stranded on the deserted island and he gets that package that some of the FedEx packages wash up and and Wilson the volleyball and he creates this whole character out of Wilson it's how he survives it's how we survive. I was so grateful this morning. I got here and Caleb said, answered prayer. I got that RA job. I know where I'm living. And like we've been praying for that. And I was like, I, I got joy today because God answered a prayer in Caleb's life. And Caleb's my brother. And that means God answered a prayer in my life. And that's meaningful to me. We aren't built to do this life alone. We need each other as we follow Jesus. I'm going to invite you to find your missional community leader. And I've got some verses on the screen that you can read as you remember Jesus' sacrifice. His body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. If you don't have a missional community, just find a group. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you uh, to take communion and remember the gospel. And if you don't know Jesus... If you've never surrendered your life to Him, if you've never believed that He is King, that He is Master, that He is Messiah, that He's God, if you've never received Him into your life, if you've never repented of your sins and trying to find happiness on your own, and if you've never asked for His forgiveness and found life in Him, I'd love to talk with you after the service. I'd love to share with you how you can be a part of this thing called the church that he has given us. That reminds us of his love and the joy that we find in communion with him. So let me pray for us and we'll worship together through communion. Father, thank you 
God, as we look at these criteria for following you, Jesus, God, we're just reminded that of what we sang earlier, God, you have no rivals, you have no equals. And Jesus, as we sang your name, I was just reminded of how powerful you are. God, would you continue as we look into your word to remind us and to show us. God, just, just spotlight areas of our life where we aren't walking in communion with you. Areas of our life where we're trying to live life alone. God, areas of our life where we haven't lived in submission to you, where you aren't master. God, where we're trying to find happiness in, in other people or things or dreams or, or other plans and goals that, God, you haven't called us to. God, help us to walk just like you did in John five nineteen, where you said, I only do what I see the Father doing. God, help us to live those types of lives. Because we know, God, that when we live in community with you and in community with, with other believers, that, God, we find joy and we find life. So, God, thank you that you've given us everything we need for life and for godliness. God, help us to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Worship together through communion, and then the band's going to lead us in one last song. Well, guys, if, if you look around the room, there's a lot of open seats. Some of that is because there's a bajillion people behind me on stage, which is great. I love it. But there's also volunteers downstairs. We've got probably about 20 volunteers up in, the, up in the balcony, downstairs with the kids, giving of their time and using their gifts to serve the church. And so if you guys talk to any of these guys or those who are downstairs, just give them a big thank you. They, they give of their time and, and sacrifice for, for the church. A um, couple quick announcements on August 8th. So in a few weeks, we're going to have a baptismal service after uh, after our gathering and one baptism is already scheduled Georgia Roberts is going to be baptized amen amen really amen. excited yeah if if you have professed your faith and put your faith and follow Jesus but never publicly proclaim that through baptism come see Brad or myself we'd love to talk to you more about that we could schedule you on the 8th as well the other announcement is on September 13th, 18th, we have a SOMA event. Saturate the South SOMA event. It's a one-day thing. It's a Saturday. Jeff Schulte and Jeff Vanderstelt will be here. Mark it on your calendar, and if you can join us, plan on being here for a short amount of time or the entire time. It'll be great. I'm going to close our, our gathering with a benediction if you guys would receive it. It comes from Colossians chapter 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you rich, richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Mercy Hill Church, you are dismissed.